First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. <clears throat> Keeping up with our eighteenth sermon in First Timothy. If you were here last week, um, we only did verse ten. That probably made some of you nervous about how we were going to work our way through chapter four. Uh, but today we'll finish out chapter four. Um, let me first say, uh, several years ago, I went to the doctor uh, concerned about my weight gain. Um, he um, asked me some questions about my diet, and I gave him my answers to my diet. He was very quiet as he wrote things down, and uh, then he asked me if I drank Cokes. And I said, no, I drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and he asked about how many, and I told him, you know, usually, you know, 12, 13 a day. <laughs> and then he said, he looked at me, and he was doing some stuff on his piece of paper, and he said, and what is your question again today? <laughs> I said, I don't understand why I'm gaining weight. And he said, well, uh, you're eating and drinking about 9,000 calories a day. What does that mean? And he said, that's what's causing you to gain weight. And I said, what do I do about that? And he said, well, here's what you do about that. And I was ready, you know, got my piece of paper and pen out. He said, you need to eat better and work out. I said, and what else? He said, that's all. <laughs> and I wanted more. I wanted something else. Tell me more. And he said, no, that's it. That's really all it is. You eat better and work out. And I was like, I can eat out and exercise, so that's going to solve the problem. He was like, yes. I took that straight to my heart and have done nothing with that um, very much, as you can tell. So what we will talk about today is nothing necessarily profound. In fact, if you've grown up in church, as we have worked our way through uh, the book of 1 Timothy, I have made this observation more than once. Um, I always worry when a preacher tells me he has something new from the word for us. That always makes me a little nervous uh, because people have been preaching a long time. Um, what is difficult for us is to walk out what we know. So it's hard. Uh, I think we all know that if you eat better and exercise more, you'd probably get healthier. <laughs> the problem is being able to actually do that. And that will be no different in, than what we discussed in First Timothy today, the ability to um, hear the truth and walk that out will be where our struggle will come from. So let me give you a quick summary of 1 Timothy, just a couple of quick summaries about 1 Timothy. Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus, a city of great power and wealth um, and materialism and lust, and you can name it all kinds of foreign gods. Um, this church is planted there. Um, and so I think Paul's letter, you could probably sum it up with two points. And that is, heretical teaching is invading the church, and godly leadership must be put in place, and they must hold to solid doctrine. Uh, I think that would be the, the, the two points I think Paul is overly emphasizing to young Timothy. And as we learn, uh, for the last two weeks, Paul then moves in and begins to tell Timothy that he must train for godliness. He must toil and strive for godliness. This is not to earn God's love, not to earn salvation, but rather 
because God loves us, because those of us who have been redeemed, who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus, for that reason we should train for godliness. We should live as Christ has called and empowered us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I said for the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to reemphasize today, this is Timothy who was trained by Paul. And some of you may have um, have grown weary of me repeating that, but that fascinates me. Timothy, trained by the Apostle Paul, like I've been trained by good people, not by Paul. Paul trains Timothy and yet still tells Timothy to strive for godliness. He still reminds Timothy of his calling. He still reminds Timothy of what good doctrine is. He still reminds him that there is going to be hard work ahead. He still reminds him that there are people who do not believe this and people who will invade the church and attempt to sway it away from healthy doctrine and he must defend it. Now surely Timothy already knew that, having been trained by Paul. And yet Paul has to remind him over and over again in this letter of these truths. And that is why we gather every Sunday as a church to hear the word of God preached because we still need to be trained in godliness, to be reminded of the gospel and what God has called us to. And after doing that, Paul then gets to verse 11. And he says, command, in chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul immediately moves after telling Timothy to train for godliness. He then says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things, which is all that we've covered for 17 weeks so far in Timothy. He's reminding Timothy, okay, I'm teaching you, I'm giving you good doctrine, I'm reminding you of the truth, and now here's your goal, here is your role as a pastor, your job is to command, we love that as Americans, command and teach these things. Teach solid doctrine. Command people to follow it. And then comes verse 12. A common verse that you grew up in the church, you spent time in youth ministry. I spent 13 years leading youth ministry. This was a very common verse. But here it is to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now I just want to do a little bit of work here to remind you of some things that we've already talked about, but one of those is this is a letter from Paul to Timothy. It's not to you. It is for you, but it's not to you. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. It is important to understand who the audience is 
And the audience is Timothy. So in this command in verse 12, he is speaking to his young pastor, Timothy. And he reminds him to live out your life in front of those you are leading. We typically, when you preach through this passage, you will break down these five words. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. It's not my motivation to do that today, uh, although I think that would be a great study. Instead, I think you can draw, uh, if you have been in church long, uh, I think you can draw some conclusions here that our speech should honor God, our conduct should honor God, the way we love should honor God, our faith and how we live out our faith, and our purity. Uh, and I think in this context, it's um, most definitely speaking to sexual purity uh, because of the issues happening in Ephesus. I think we could clearly see that. That's not what I want to focus on today. Instead, I've tried to, the best I can, to put myself in Timothy's shoes. And I've tried to ask myself, why was it so important that Paul would tell Timothy to set for the believers an example? And it just dawned on me. I called one of my best friends who is a guru in the word. I called him and I was like, I just want to run this by you. Uh, I'm going to sound stupid. You're probably going to hang up and call your other pastor friends and say things. You're not going to believe what Jason just figured out. Uh, I said, but I've never really thought about this. But no doubt that one of the reasons why Paul tells Timothy to be an example is there's probably not any other examples. But we have a Western world, a our time period of thinking of church. Church is new here. Christianity is new. It is growing. There are not, as you would think, Bible bookstores in Ephesus. There are no how to win people to Christ training seminars. There are no podcasts. There are no events. There are no Christian concerts that are occurring. There's none of that. No one really completely understands necessarily what it means to actually believe. That's why even Paul himself, after he comes to faith, is taught himself. And so Timothy in Ephesus, as a young pastor, is being reminded by Paul, hey, understand something, Timothy. If people are going to walk out their faith, they're going to have to follow yours. You're going to have to model this for them. And we've all had some kind of training in our lives. Either school or work or whatever. My first real job after I got married was working for Taco Bueno. Hold the applause. I went to work at the busiest one in Dallas. It's a training place. It was my first day. The guy who was training me, training me was the GM. He was named Jim. And the Taco Bueno at Coit Road in Dallas was the busiest restaurant in America. Uh, they did about $8,000 for lunch between 11 and 2. If you have ever worked in the fast food business, you just fainted. Uh, if you have not, you're like, I don't know what that is. But that's a big deal. My first day ever to work fast food, having known my brother who worked in fast food forever, thinking that's not a big deal. How hard can it be? Uh, I was put in the drive-thru, and I was losing my mind. The first three months that I became a police officer, people went to jail because I was still frustrated about how my time at Taco Bueno went. 
Jim was my training manager. Within like 15 minutes, he was yelling at me. And finally, I had had enough, and I turned to Jim, and I said, Jim, I've been here one hour! And he was like, okay, 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 I'll back off a little bit. I was like, you're going to have to give me a little bit more time. But that is how I sure Timothy felt in Ephesus. Plunged in as a young man, the pastor of church, Christianity, new, nobody to hang out with and have lunch with, no other pastors to go and talk to, no seminaries to graduate from, no systematic theology books to go read, just Paul who had left. And I have no doubt when this letter arrived that Timothy opened it up with great eagerness to learn more. And here's what Paul tells Timothy. Be the example. You are going to have to set the pattern for the church. They've got to look somewhere, Timothy, and they're going to look to you. And I'm sure Timothy thought, but I am young, and in this culture, and I won't bore you with the history, but in this culture, anyone under the age of 40 was considered young. That's why there's great debate upon how young Timothy was. Some say he was in his 20s, some say 30s, but he could have been in his late 30s and in this culture would have still been considered young. And this Timothy would not only be trying to set the example for the church of how Christianity was supposed to look, he was also going to have to battle, no doubt, people that are older than him, that are held in higher esteem than him, who are teaching false doctrine. That will exhaust any pastor, but imagine being one with no other pastors really around. In a young church, as a young man, and that is where Timothy is. And Paul reminds him, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let anyone dismiss you because you are young. But rather, rather, or instead... Show them what Christianity is. Go out and set the example. That almost sounds arrogant to us. For someone to say, imagine if I were to stand up here, and we're going to get here, and that's why eldership is weighty. Here's the truth of the matter. Do you want to know what Christians do and how they live? Yes, watch me. You would probably say, well, that's arrogant that's literally the New Testament pattern of discipleship. Yes. And he tells Timothy, you must go lead your church by example. People need to know what the pattern of holy living is. And you, young Timothy, must provide that for your people. Timothy was probably hoping for a lot of, you know, sappy... Sorry that it's so tough on you. Instead, in the letter, he gets told, don't let them look down on you. Don't, don't let them dismiss you because of your age. Instead, engage them with a pattern of holy living. And then verse 13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. No doubt when he read, until I come, I'm sure Timothy got excited. <laughs> But he says, and until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Paul, once again, reemphasizes what he's been emphasizing this whole time, and that is read the Scriptures in the public gathering of the believers and exhort those who are listening and teach them 
the Word. That's one of the reasons we have scripture reading in the congregation. More of the Word. More opportunity for the Holy Spirit to teach you, to challenge you, to encourage you. And then Paul reminds Timothy of the gift given to him through the Holy Spirit, which in context, in my belief, is most likely the gift of teaching, because that's what most of the text is about. And he is reminding Timothy of this gift, that he is there to teach. And we see that in verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, we will cover more of the prophecy and laying on of hands and what that all looks like in today's church in our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is where we are headed right after our completion of 1 Timothy. So I don't want to ponder um, much on that. Instead, you'll have to wait for 1 Corinthians. Verse 15, Paul continues. Timothy, practice these things. What things? Good doctrine, setting the example, defending the faith, striving for godliness, reading the word, teaching the word, exhorting people with the word. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in them. And here's why. So that all may see your progress. Aren't you glad? I'm sure Timothy was glad, and I am glad, knowing where I'm going to land in this sermon and knowing the weight that it's going to place on me as a believer and me as a pastor. I am so glad that it did not say, so that all may see your perfection. <laughs> Instead, it says, that all may see your progress. I'm glad it says that. That you... Again, Timothy, are going to be an example to the believers. This is a call for Timothy to have a relational living ministry, to get involved in people's lives. The only way you can be an example is he must be involved in people's lives in order to be an example. And that would include opportunities to live out his life in front of others. So they can see his progress, that what he believes is what he is living out. This is clearly a purposeful and practical movement for Timothy. Go out and live your life with others with this goal in mind. That what you proclaim, you live out in front of others so they may have a pattern of which to follow. Now, I've said this letter is clearly a heartfelt letter inspired by the Holy Spirit from Paul to his young protege, Timothy. It's written to him. It's not written to us. But it is for us, which is why this entitled series is entitled for the pastor, Timothy, for the church. Because everything that Paul tells Timothy here, he also tells Timothy to regurgitate that to the people. And so clearly he is going to want that taught to his followers as well. So what is applicable to me today? Well, we clearly know that Paul tells Timothy to model his life after Paul. That's interesting. Model your life after me as Paul models his life after Christ. This is the pattern for discipleship. We complicate it in the church a lot. Here's what we say. We need a discipleship class. Maybe. 
What we really need people to do is live out their life in front of people with the understanding that I'm going to show you what it means to be a godly man, a godly woman. Purposeful. It is the pattern that is woven throughout all of the Bible. And the pattern for us to do this is clear. Let me give you some. 1 Corinthians 4.16. They will not be on the screen. By the way, Matt's out of town. Um, that's why I didn't give him the verses. Uh, he asked for them, but I wasn't done. Uh, Matt's out of town. If you wonder why Matt's on vacation, he just went to youth camp. And that's all you need to know. Trust me. It's needed. 1 Corinthians 4.16 Paul says this, I urge you then, be imitators of Christ. No. Paul says this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's arrogant. No, it's biblical. Paul says, you want to know what Jesus looks like? You want to know how Jesus behaves? You want to know how he speaks? You want to know how he responds to situations? Yes, I do. Tell me how Jesus does this. I will show you in my life. Follow me. You say, well, that must be a misprint. That's not what Paul said. Well, he read, he says it again. First Corinthians 11, 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You say, well, that's in First Corinthians. I don't think First Corinthians is inspired. I don't like that book. Whatever you want to say. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, let's go to Philippians. Philippians 3, 17. Paul again says, brothers, join in imitating me. He calls all the brothers, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in Christ. No, walk according to the example that you have in us. Hebrews 13, 7, the writer of Hebrews. You thought I was going to say Paul, didn't you? Some of you don't get that one. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. You can preach them. That's what leaders do, by the way. They preach the word of God, but we'll get that some of the time. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There it is again. Now, the transition from just being people who follow the leader's faith happens again through Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 7, he says this. If you're keeping notes, this is the one I would definitely write down. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Are you ready? So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You imitated our faith as we followed Christ. You imitated it. You looked at us. We told you. You want to see what it means to be a godly husband? You want to see what it means to be a godly parent? You want to see what it means to be a godly employee? You want to see how it means to face difficulties and trials and be godly? Yes. Okay. Watch us. And here's what's happened, Thessalonians. 
You have done that, and in doing so, you have become a model for other believers to follow. That is discipleship. We don't need more classes. We need more obedience to what's already in the Scripture. Paul calls Timothy to live in an example to other believers. And Paul led Timothy well. And a host of other scriptures calls leaders and others to live as an example as well. Now we are clearly not talking about living perfectly. That's why 11 says, watch my progress. Leaders fail or sin. I haven't said this in a while, in a while, I don't think, from the pulpit, but when we started this church, uh, we had about 11 people. Um, we took a youth group to camp, which was my kids, Jeremy and Tessa's daughter, I believe, and the Woods kids. Staff kids and one church member. <laughs> this week, I think we took 20-something. Um, so pleased with the faithfulness of the Lord to grow His church. But I've said this often, uh, that our motto as a church is, Come to Sovereign Life Fellowship. But we are guaranteed to fail you and hurt you. Because <laughs> we're people. Why are we so baffled together as people, flawed human beings on the road to Christianity, and be so shocked that people wound us and fail us? Have you not looked in the mirror? You fail. You don't model Christ all the time. And you gather with others who don't. Are you really mystified that you get wounded? The key is not living perfectly. The key is progress. That when you fail, you own it. We could preach forever in the American church on that one. That when you fail, you own it. You raise your hand and say, that's on me. And then in owning it, you point yourself and others back to the gospel. You say, I'm thankful for Christ. I'm thankful that he paid for my sin. I thank him for that. And brother and sister, be patient with me. I am learning how to be more like him. The answer is not, well, you failed too. That's not the answer. The answer is, I know I failed. I'm thankful for the blood. Thankful for Christ. Thankful for his patience and his love for me. And I'm asking you to be patient with me as I work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in me, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Be patient with me. That is the key, not living perfectly. But I want you in verse 16, um, I'm almost done, which means I'm not almost done. But anyway, feel the weight of this command for Timothy, the urgency of this command for Timothy, And I want you to feel the long-lasting impact of this command, which is not to live perfectly, but to demonstrate progress. And it happens in verse 16. This is weighty. I've always read this passage to just move right past verse 16. It says, Timothy, I'm including that, it's not in your translation. Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's weighty. 
Hey, Timothy, strive for godliness. Hold the sound doctrine. Appoint healthy elders. Make sure you contend for the gospel. Be the example. Live it out in front of other people. And listen, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and what you're teaching. In other words, what you teach from your church, you need to live out. And here's why, Timothy. Because in doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. People say, I really don't know how to do that. No, we we know how to do it. We really do. We are really good at watching other people's lives and they're not good. Amen? (laughs) Two laughs. We're we're good at that. Most of our nights and homes, let's just be honest, and most of our water cooler talk is about how others have not measured up. Right? It's about other employees who are not pulling their weight. Other church members who aren't committed enough. We're, we're really good at watching people's lives and their doctrine. You know, he always says, but he never, never, never. <laughs> We have a really hard time watching ourselves and our doctrine. Although there was not much of a Christian culture per se at this time in the Bible, we as a church and as Christians in this country are saturated with Christian culture. We are immersed in Christian culture. But what we lack is Christian examples. We know lots. Keith Green once said that we are, the church is so well fed, how can it be so dead? We know lots, but we walk out little. We need examples. And it matters. It matters for your life and others. Brennan Manning, pastor and author and a man who himself publicly struggled with his own alcoholism, eventually took his life. He made this statement. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Living out what you say you believe. It's fascinating to read Brennan Manning's story as he battled alcoholism his whole life. Publicly, he didn't hide it anymore. He said, I struggle here. A work in progress. I'm having difficulty overcoming this. So it's not perfection, but it is progress. That living out what you say believes, what you believe is the fruit of those who truly believe. Once again, not, we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about changed lives. Someone who has met the God of the universe cannot stay unchanged. It's not possible. Which means, if you've met the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, which means the power to overcome sin is there. But isn't it difficult to walk that out? But it is important. 
that if we claim one thing, that we walk it out consistently. And that if you claim the gospel, if you claim what the scriptures teach, but you do not walk that, you should be concerned. And if you're unable to move towards regular, holy living, not perfection, but holy living, I keep repeating that because the last thing I need in the American church is somebody else to give you a list of rules. I'm not talking about perfection, but progress. But if you're unable to move towards regular, holy living, in, what, in which you acknowledge your sins and your struggles and you repent and you seek forgiveness, if you're unable to do that, then anyone hearing you talk the Christian talk but never walking it out consistently will struggle to ever believe that it's true. And this is true. It is hard. This does not make for popular church growth. To look at you as believers and say, you must walk out what you say you believe. You have a calling on your life for holiness. You must be different than the world because we claim to be different than the world. And Paul makes clear in verse 16 that this has gospel implications, that how you live your life is missional, that how you live your life is evidence of whether or not you truly know the Lord, and that how you live matters and it affects the eternity of those who are watching let that wash over you for a minute. Timothy, watch yourself and what you're teaching. Make sure they line up. Make sure you're living it. And in doing so, you'll save yourself and others. Now, he is not teaching salvation by works. That is not what Paul's doing. We don't have enough time to go over how he's not teaching that. But he is teaching this, that if you claim you know Jesus, you should have the power to walk that out. And others will see your progress. We need this, church. People will say things like, how do I love my wife, my wife well? And I guess it's okay to send you to a conference. I guess it's okay to give you a book. Let me tell you what's really important. That when someone in our church says, how do I love my wife well? That I, as an elder and our other elders here, will say, let me show you. That's what we should be doing. That's why I love my vocational ministry. That's why I'm thrilled not to be full-time. The church has wonderfully taken care of me financially as a bivocational pastor. But I love bivocational ministry because I am in the real world. I know what it's like to work all day, to be frustrated, to be tired, to come home and still have to love your children in a godly way and, and love your spouse and find time to pray and find time to study the scriptures. I'm not the guy paid to just sit at the church and study all day long. Nothing wrong with that. If you have any full-time pastors, I don't think we do. Nothing wrong with that, but I love being in the real world and because I understand how hard it is. Every time you get frustrated at work and I get frustrated, we must remember this passage. That what we do in that moment matters. That in that moment... You are a gospel example of what it means to be a believer. You must weigh out your thoughts and your actions. You must be careful. You must remember this passage. I'm over time, and I don't care. <laughs> Years ago when I was at church, 
First church ever pastored my, we had a night out for the young couples. We dropped off our adult children. I created that uh, idea. It was just a way to get free babysitting. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> truth to it. We leave. We come back. I asked the children's minister. It's the first time it ever happened. I said, how did it go? She said, it went wonderful. So your oldest son, Daniel, cursed. I went, cursed? He said, a really bad word. And I was like, really? And I was like, well, probably heard that from his mother. (laughs) She said, well, he said he heard it from a show that you like to watch all the time. That was probably close to the channel. (laughs) It matters. People are watching us. And when you're frustrated and angry with your spouse or your children or at work or anything, that all of those moments have gospel implications. What you do matters. People are watching. There is a pattern that you are laying down for others. And so when you're behind the guy on your way to work who will not get off his phone and text and instead go through the green light. <laughs> not that I've ever had that happen to me. <laughs> In that moment, it matters how you respond. It matters. Because you say, well, no one's watching me there, but you are supposed to watch yourself and your doctrine closely. When you're facing financial difficulty, how you respond matters. When you're facing suffering, how you respond matters. When you are dealing with failing health, how you respond matters. When you're struggling in relationships, how you respond matters. And even when everything is going well and there's lots of money and you're healthy and everything is wonderful, even then how you respond matters. Never let it slip your mind that you're an example of what it means to be a believer. For our elders and myself, I deeply desire to be that example to you. Some of you know me really well. Like, really well. Like, really well. And I would say, please watch my progress. Because I, as your pastor, will fail many, many, many times. But I pray that what I look like 10 years from now is vastly different from how I look. And I hope that you would find me as a man that you could pattern your life after. Now, I can never be an example of godliness, nor are other pastors. Would they ever be an example of godliness without God, without the Holy Spirit? Which is why the gospel is such good news. If you try to live out a pattern of holy living without God, you will fail every time. You may say to yourself, well, what is the gospel? And I would say, I am glad you asked. In closing, as we do every week, here is the gospel. That you were born in sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sinned really well all by yourself. In fact, if there's any pattern that you have down really well, it's that one. You know how to sin. You were separated from a holy, holy, holy God. Who, that though you were sinning, loved you. And in your sin, while you were sinning, while you were in rebellion toward him, he sent his only begotten son to suffer the punishment that you richly deserved on the cross. And that for those who would repent and believe in that sacrifice, they could be brought back into a right relationship with the Father. And that is good news. 
if you know you need rescuing. And that is the gospel. And you may say, well, how in the world do you become a believer? How do you become a Christian? In the modern church, we'd say we have to have an invitation. Keith has to play 17 different songs. And I have to beg you to come down the aisle. But I do not believe that is a gospel biblical teaching. There's nothing wrong with invitations per se, but here's all you need to know to come to Christ. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. You may say, well, how would I know if I believe? Because your life will never be the same again. Perfect? No. But progress? Yes. As Keith comes... To have a time of reflection and worship. I would ask for you to be reminded of this verse as you tackle the rest of this day as we all probably go to restaurants and immediately have frustrations probably from the moment that we end this service. The difficulties that will face us at work. That you will be reminded of this. That you are called to be an example of Christian faith. Let's go before the Lord. God, you are good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us this morning. I pray, God, as a pastor, as one of the elders here, that you would continue to shape my life to look more and more like you. Shape for me the things that grieve you. Make them grieve me. And may I be a godly example to the people of this church. And then for our people, Lord, may they understand the life that you called them to live, and that eternity hangs in the balance. Because others are watching. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.